Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everyone. Make sure I'm on, okay? All right, there. What's well, wonderful to be here with you. Great to see you today, and I do want to say happy birthday to you. <laughs> you look marvelous for 62. <laughs> it was uh, 62 years ago today that a, a group of nine people, including uh, Pastor Ted Willie, his wife Renita, uh, gathered together in a small home just a few miles east of here stepped out by faith to start a, a new church. And uh, I do want to make it very clear, I was not a part of that service, okay? I just want to make sure everybody knows that, okay? I was not there. Uh, Al Cade just told me it was a wonderful service. So, uh, <laughs> But we have been so blessed by God uh, Throughout these years, you know, we have not always been faithful, but God has always been faithful. He is faithful. He is a covenant-keeping God. His mercies are new every single day. And so it's great to take a moment to look back and to celebrate the faithfulness of God, and it's wonderful here on this anniversary Sunday to look forward by faith to the continual faithfulness of God and believe that greater things are yet to come for His glory as we are faithful to Him. Now, I want you to notice in your bulletin there is a copy of the Church Covenant and I thought it would be good for us on this anniversary Sunday. We just did this over in the worship service in the auditorium. But now here, as we gather here in the hub service, to read this covenant together. It is a, a covenant that was established many years ago by the congregation here. It is affirmed by everyone who becomes a member so I'm going to ask, we'll just begin by just reading this again. So would you stand with me, please? And we're going to read the church covenant. Then we're going to pray together. So please, if you would, you'll see the words on the screens. But let's just read these together as I begin. Follow along and share this with me as well. As believers in Jesus Christ, who have publicly professed our faith through baptism... And having been led by the Holy Spirit to unite with fellow believers in membership at West Park Baptist Church, we enter into a covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We agree to support and abide by the principles of faith and practice expressed in our Constitution. And we agree by the help of the Holy Spirit to live together in Christian love with fellow members and to present a testimony of unity that honors Christ. We agree to build up other believers in the faith, to live out with them the mission, vision, and core values of our church, and to lovingly but firmly hold others accountable when they do not and to expect them to do the same for us. 
We agree to encourage other members in Christian love, to pray for them, to pursue unity, to always be ready for reconciliation if we have a conflict with another, to regularly participate in the worship services of West Park Baptist Church, and to faithfully support the ministries of the church, both prayerfully and financially. We agree to willingly embrace the spiritual oversight of the pastors of West Park Baptist Church and their spiritual authority in our lives as shepherds of the flock. We further agree to uphold this covenant commitment as long as we are members at West Park Baptist Church. In regard to this commitment, should we ever consider withdrawing our membership from this fellowship, we will discuss that consideration with one of the spiritual leaders of our church. And God's people said, Amen. Would you pray with me now, brothers and sisters? Heavenly Father, what praise, what thanks we offer you on this Sunday morning. Sunday morning when we celebrate 62 years of your faithfulness. Truly great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that when we have not been faithful, yet you have always been faithful. Lord, we thank you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brothers and sisters who have gone before us over these decades. And they're now gathered with you in heaven. And we, Lord, carry on the work that they gave themselves to. Lord, we pray and ask that you will be gracious to us, merciful to us. Help us, O oh Lord God, in a day of darkness to stand firm, holding forth the word of truth. Help us, Lord, as you commanded us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this without you. But with you, we can do all things through Christ who will strengthen us. Lord, help us to remain committed to live as you live, Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth. Give us grace that we might be gracious. Give us mercy that we might be merciful. Grant us your compassion that we may be compassionate. And Lord, help us now to continue to serve you, love you, love others, and impact the world one person at a time for Christ. And Lord, I ask that by your grace, until you come again in power and great glory, I ask that for your testimony, this church will never cease to be a faithful witness of the gospel. 
Lord, help us. And from us, and from this place, and to this community, and around the world, send out your light and your truth. Lead us to your holy presence, and may we, by your grace, lead others there as well. We ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. may be seated. Open your Bibles, if you would, the passage read earlier, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, and if you're our guest today, remind you, that, uh, let you know rather, and remind those who have been here recently that we're in a series of messages from the Sermon on the Mount, the great message by Jesus that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so we are entitling this series of messages, Life in the Kingdom, Life in the Kingdom. It's a very meaningful series for me because uh, very soon, Susan and I will be celebrating 37 years here at West Park. And I came uh, the first Sunday in December of 1986 to be the pastor here. Of course, that was Christmas time, so those early messages were about the theme of Christmas. But starting in January, I knew that I had to stop the Christmas messages and move on to some other topic. So I prayed a lot about it, and the Lord led me in the very first series of messages here at West Park that I brought to bring a series on the Sermon on the Mount. So this is very meaningful for us here today on this anniversary Sunday to also be considering this passage of Scripture and it is about life in the kingdom. The Lord is telling us what He is doing through establishing, through His work on the cross, His perfect life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. What it means for Him to be establishing this new community of which we are members. And He gives us what we could really call this constitution of Christianity. And so I hope that it'll be meaningful uh, to us today. Now, if you, as you turn there in your Bibles, I want to begin, as I thought about this week, of sharing with you just a little bit of a conversation that I will never forget, and a conversation that by the grace of God, I hope, I will never forget. Many years ago, there was an active member of our fellowship, very active volunteer, serving in many capacities. And one time I was frustrated about how something was handled, ministry that she was leading, and I was very critical in my expression. And I'll never forget that she asked to come and see me in my office. And sitting across from her in my office, with tears coming down her, her face, here's what she said. She said, Pastor Sam, we love you and we listen to you. And I want you to know and Pastor Sam, never forget 
your words carry weight. Your words carry weight. And she was so gracious, even without specifically challenging me to let me know that what I had said in an angry, critical spirit had gone straight to her heart. And with tears in my own eyes, I asked her to forgive me, and we prayed together. And grateful that the Lord did bring healing in that relationship. But I thought of that conversation this week as I was preparing for this message, and I have thought of it many times over the years. I want to remind us of this, brothers and sisters. Our words are weighty. The Bible says this, the power of life and death is in the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. That means that the power of our words, that power is able to heal or it's able to hurt and destroy. How hurtful then are angry words. Words that are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Maybe even words that are factually correct, but they're not spiritually right when it comes to our spirit. How hurtful those words can be. The Lord says that He wants us to be, verses 13 to 16, do you remember? He said He wants us and has called us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And He says, don't let the salt be savorless. Don't let your light be hid under a bushel. And isn't it interesting that as He begins to describe how people and His kingdom are to relate to others, as salt and light, He immediately deals with anger. Angry words in our relationships. That's very significant. And so, if we're going to be the salt and light of the earth, brothers and sisters, it means we've got to rein in our anger. <laughs> Or better, we've got to let the king reign over our anger because we can't do it in ourselves. Have the king reign over our anger in our relationships. So this morning, what I want us to consider is the king's reign in our relationships. The king's reign in our relationships. If he is King Jesus then He is King of our relationships. And He should reign over our words. So let's look at this passage for a moment. And notice first of all this. The King, the Lord Jesus, speaks about angry words in our relationships. And He begins by going back to the law. Verse number 21, notice. 
You have heard it said. You have heard that it was said that you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of the judgment. Now, of course, of course here, Jesus is referring to the sixth commandment. God said in the sixth of the ten commandments, you shall not kill. And the word there is very specific. It means you shall not commit murder. Murder is a national tragedy in our country. In the year 2022, 26,000 murders committed in the United States. In 2022, 49,000 suicides, which is a form of self-murder. In 2022, 900,000 abortions, which is murder of the preborn. So in 2022, in the United States, one million lives taken. That's over 19,000 people per week. We live in a murderous society. Murder in the Bible was considered a capital crime. Jesus says here, you've heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. It means be liable to the verdict of the court, of the law. And if found guilty, that would be a capital crime. Punishable with capital punishment. Now, what Jesus said here surprised no one. That's, no one is surprised by what Jesus has said here. No one's surprised by it. But it's what he said next that shocked everybody. It's what he said next that shocked everyone. Verse 22, he says this, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell fire. Now notice, what is Jesus doing here? He's not just dealing with the sin of murder. He's going to the source of murder. Where does, where does murder originate? And here's the Lord's perspective. He says, I tell you that everyone that is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He said, you've heard it said that if someone commits murder, they will be liable to the judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Here we have the Lord's perspective. Not just the law's principle, but we have the Lord's perspective. Remember what Jesus said back in verse 17? He said, Do not think I came to abolish the law. I came 
to fulfill it. I came to fulfill the law of its deepest spiritual meaning. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's filling this law of against murder with its deepest spiritual meaning. He's tracing it back to the source. The source that's in the heart. And so you see, brothers and sisters, what Jesus is doing is saying that it's not just the physical act of murder which is wrong. Where does that spring from? It springs from hate. It it springs from the inner man where someone is despised. And Jesus says, anything that arises with that murderous intent is wrong. You see, the religious leaders in Jesus' days said this. I mean, they literally said this. As long as you don't assault somebody, as long as you don't take their life, you really can, especially if they're not a, a Jewish person like you, You can lie about them, you can cheat, you can do all these things. You just can't assault them physically or take their life. And Jesus declares that God looks down, not just on the crime, but He looks where? On the attitude of the heart. Man deals with the externals, but God looks where? On the heart, the spirit that leads to the crime. And so Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, you, my followers, I want you to understand, I'm not just concerned with the fruit. I'm concerned with the root issues of the heart. Now, notice, after Jesus says this, it's interesting, he gives three examples. Three examples of hatred and punishment that could go with it. It's very interesting what he does. Notice these three examples. He says, first of all, verse 22, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. And the word anger there is a unique word for anger. This word to be angry is the word orgeo, which means... A brooding, simmering anger. This is not explosive anger, thumos. This is brooding anger, simmering anger that's in the heart. And this kind of anger is always sinful, according to the Word of God. This brooding anger. Jesus says if you have that kind of Anger, you're in danger of the judgment. And then he says, whoever says to his brother, his fellow man, notice this, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And the the word here, where it says insults, it says the word here, Aramaic word, is rachach. 
I'd be careful when you make that noise, okay? You get real messy. It's the idea of like clearing your throat. It, it, it's the attitude of what you would do if you were about to spit on someone. That's the idea. Whoever says, Racha, to his brother shall be in danger of the council. This, this means a verbal assault on a person's worth, to attack a person's worth. Racha means you consider the person a worthless person. A, a good for nothing could be a translation we give to it. Jesus says if you do that, you'll be in danger of the council. What's the council? That's the Supreme Court of the day. The Sanhedrin. The 70. You'll be in danger of the, the Supreme Court if you treat someone that way. Then... Jesus gives a third statement. Verse 22, whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of the hell of fire. Now, to call someone a fool in Jesus' day was not just to say someone was foolish, acting foolishly. That's not, that's not the meaning here. The word for a fool here means a godless rebel. A godless rebel. Or it can be translated, a perverse person. To call someone a fool, a godless rebel, a perverse person, you will be in danger of the hell of fire. And again, the Aramaic word here is Gehenna. Gehenna. What's Gehenna? Gehenna is the valley of Hinnom right outside of Jerusalem. And back in the idolatrous days of the people of Judah, they actually built idols in that valley. They would actually sacrifice their children on those idols. It was called Tophet which means a drum. They would beat the drum so loudly to drown out the wailing of the child being offered. Good King Josiah, when he came to power, he tore down all of those idols and he turned the valley of Hinnom into the garbage dump of Jerusalem. And when Jesus said these words, that garbage dump had been smoldering for 700 years. It became an image of what to the Jewish people? What did be Gehenna, the garbage dump, with the fires constantly burning day and night? What did it become an image of? It became an image of everlasting punishment of hell itself. Now, it's obvious here that Jesus is not, listen carefully, He's not, not setting up three specific kinds of punishment for three specific kinds of crime. That's not what He's doing. He's not making a checklist saying, you do this, you could get that. You do this, you could get that. You do this, you could get that. That's not what Jesus is doing. 
Jesus is speaking in, in words and tones of exaggeration for effect. He means exactly what he's saying, but he's sort of going over the top so the audience will get the message. What he is doing is saying, listen, your attitude in your heart with the angry words that tear down people, this is contrary to my kingdom. He's saying an angry, malicious spirit is like murder in the eyes of God because that's where murder originates from, an angry, malicious spirit. Now just let that sink in. That God views angry and malicious words arising from an angry and malicious spirit as murder in your heart. Again, brothers and sisters, I say let that sink in. Jesus, our King, is saying that He and His Heavenly Father consider angry, malicious words that arise from an angry, malicious spirit to be murder in our hearts. Now friends, just because God does not toss every person with malicious words and a malicious spirit into hell does not change how He feels about anger and malice. God's merciful. And just because we are Christians does not change how God feels. You know, this is a, a very, very deceptive thing that we can think because we are Christians that God feels differently about our sin than He does the sins of others. My friend, God is holy and He hates sin wherever it's found. And praise be to the Lord Jesus who by His everlasting grace pardoned our sins by paying the ransom due. Suffering in our, pray, in our, in our part. Thank God for Him. But friend, God, our holy God, our wonderful Lord Jesus hates sin. And as Christians... It might be that that kind of attitude in our hearts is even worse because we know better, and not only do we know better, listen, we know Him. We know Him. We know forgiveness. We know mercy. We know what the Lord did for us. This is such a serious matter that the Lord in verses 24 to 26, I want you to notice, and now we need to bring it home to what we are doing right now, I trust, worshiping. The Lord attaches it to our worship. 
this malicious spirit, angry spirit to our worship. And so here we see the king talk about acceptable worship in regard to our relationships. Now see, make sure you understand something here. It's not so much that the Lord is talking about our words, though He is. It's not so much even that He's talking about our anger. He is. What He's really talking about is what that kind of spirit, those kinds of words do to our relationships. And God says our relationships are sacred. Sacred. Listen to Jesus in verses 23 and 24. Here's what He says about your worship and your relationships. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now this is astounding. It's an astounding principle. And I want to make sure that we don't miss the principle here, friends. What is Jesus saying? Right relationship with others takes priority over our worship activities. Right relationships with others take priority over our worship activities. Jesus is describing the most sacred act a Jewish person could perform. They have made perhaps the trip of their lifetime. Most Jewish people only went once in their lifetime, or if ever, to Jerusalem, as they were scattered around the nations. But he says, if you come to the temple, and there you are about to offer up, you're about to hand over that offering to the priest to be offered to God on His sacred altar. As you are doing that, if you remember that someone has something against you, you are not right with someone in a relationship, what does Jesus say? Stop. Don't offer the offering. There is something more important. There's something of a greater priority than you carrying out that act of worship. Jesus says you stop right there. You go find that person and make things right. And then you will be right. And come and offer that offering to the Lord. Let's transport this scene 2,000 years to our time. 
you're in prayer. Most sacred moment of your, of your day, you're in prayer. You're in Bible reading. And while you're there in prayer and Bible reading, the Holy Spirit reminds you that you have wronged someone. The Lord is saying, with that conviction and reproof of the Holy Spirit, make your priority as soon as possible to go to that person. If you can't go to that person, call that person. Reach out to that person. Do whatever you can to make that right. I remember several years ago when the Lord was leading me through a time of, of prayer with fasting. Some important things in my life, the life of the church, some important opportunities that God had opened for me for some kingdom ministry, speaking other places. So I went away for some days of prayer, fasting. And while I was there at that spiritual retreat, the Lord brought two people to my mind. And I had not thought of them in years, but it was just that clear. And he brought to my mind how I had wronged them. And literally, I had not thought about it or remembered it in years. Well, being reminded by the Holy Spirit of what he said here, I had to track down where these people were. Contact them. Didn't have a phone number, finally got addresses. Wrote them both letters. Shared with them what I had done. One of them had no clue of what I'd done. I asked their forgiveness. And I cannot tell you the relief that came over me not too long after that, that from both these people I received gracious, gracious communication saying, Sam, thank you. God bless you. I freely forgive you. I freely forgive you. Did I want to write those letters? Not on your life. Trying to let go of them into the mailbox, it was like I had sticky glue on my finger. But that was all just pride. I can't tell you the privilege of sharing, experiencing that. The only thing that's been greater than that is over the years, a few times when people have asked me to forgive them, and in Jesus' name, to be able to do what Jesus does, right? Forgive. Can I say something about how to ask forgiveness? 
Don't blame shift in your asking of forgiveness. You know how many people ask forgiveness? They ask forgiveness like this. If I have offended you, please forgive me. You know what that means? In reality, what you're saying when you do that is this. If you're so sensitive and so touchy that that little thing that I said bothered you, then I'm sorry. That's what that means. Listen, you can't confess with the word if. You know what the word confession means? You know what the word in the New Testament for confession means? It means to say the same thing. Homologeo. To confess is to say the same thing about your sin God says about it. Not if. Not perchance. But if God has convicted you that you've wronged someone, say what He says about it and then experience this. If we confess our sins, He's what? Faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What price can you put on a clear conscience? Take total responsibility. You may say, well, Sam, as I look back, it was about 10% me, 90% them. Okay, you take 100% responsibility for your 10%. And leave the 90% in your judgment between them and God. <laughs> but you own your stuff. Own your stuff. That's the way to freedom. Now notice lastly here, the king talks about the impact of angry spirit on our worship. But then he gives us some active wisdom. The Lord is so practical. He gives us active wisdom about our relationships. And here's what he says. He gives two illustrations. One is a, a Jewish re expression. He's just given that of if you're in the temple, go find your brother, the person you've offended, make it right. He's used that in illustration. Now he uses a Roman illustration from the Roman court system. Here's what he says, verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. He's talking here in words that they could understand about the potential of debtor's prison. And according to Roman law, listen carefully, according to Roman law, and it is also the basis for our legal system today, Two people who have an issue, two people who have a legal issue can settle that. They can mediate that outside of the courtroom. But once it gets in the courtroom, you're not going to say, hey, judge, I'm sorry. This doesn't seem to be going well. Could we just stop this? You know, I've watched TV shows about this. <laughs> And no, no, that doesn't work that way. Once it starts, those wheels of justice 
are grinding out. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that two people need to settle things. And he, the idea here is it may be one's a believer, maybe both are believers, followers of Jesus. But he says, before this gets started, deal with it. Deal with it. What's the message? What is Jesus getting at here? Is he talking about the court system of the day? Is he trying to tell his believers how to stay out of court? No. What's the message? The message is this. We should deal with our sin toward others before the judge has to deal with it. Before the Supreme Court, and there's only one Supreme Court, right? Before the Supreme Court of Heaven has to deal with it, deal with it. You know, there's a wonderful verse that's in 1 Corinthians 11. And it says this, and it's connected with communion, the Lord's Supper. And here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 11:31. If we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. Judge your sin, and God won't judge it. Judge your sin, and the Lord won't judge it. Now, what's the message for us today from these commandments of Jesus? Well, let me just close here. Three angry lessons. Three angry lessons. Three takeaways. Number one, let's never forget anger breaks our king's law. Anger breaks our king's law. Do not lightly deal with your anger in your heart because the Lord doesn't take it lightly. Anger in the heart. Jesus is raising the standard. If it's in your heart, you may not have said the words. You may not have assaulted the person or taken any action against them. But if the anger is in your heart, it's a violation of our king's law. Jesus looks on our spirit. Here's the second lesson, angry lesson. Number two, anger hinders our worship. Anger hinders our worship. Listen carefully, church. You cannot be right with God and wrong with someone else. Do not deceive yourself. You cannot be right with God and wrong with someone else in your spirit. We are to forgive those who have wronged us. We are, as we're going to see in the remainder of this Sermon on the Mount, love our enemies. Do good to them. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by what? Doing good. We cannot be right with God and wrong with someone else. Sin against others is always a sin against God. 
And here's the third lesson, and maybe most important for us today. Anger produces spiritual bondage. Anger produces spiritual bondage. Where in this story about relationships that Jesus is sharing, where does the angry, malicious person end up in the debtor's prison? In prison. Anger and malice toward others is a self-built prison for your own spirit. And you build it brick by brick. Years ago, I was in counseling in my office with someone. And that person, through that counseling, became very specific about how he had wronged someone that we both knew. And he said something to this effect. Pastor Sam, I'll make it right. I'll make it right. I I see it. I'll make it right. You know what I did? I reached over to the phone on my desk. I handed him the phone and said, I'll dial the number for you. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm I'm not ready for that, Pastor Sam. I'm, I'm not ready for that. And then I said, your brother, listen to me then you're not repentant. Because when you see this as God sees it, I wouldn't even have to reach for that receiver. You would deal with it. There may be perhaps here in this room this morning some people, yes, everything looks fine on the outside. You're here on this glorious day of beautiful sunshine. But in reality, you are in prison in your spirit. And there's a ball and chain around you. And the truth be told, your heart is like a dungeon because you won't open those bars of either forgiving someone who's wronged you or going to that person and asking for forgiveness. And the reality is, You're in lockdown of your own creation. Jesus said that He wants us to be what? Free. He wants us to know the abundant life. And anger and malice toward others and unforgiveness keeps us in a dungeon. And what a terrible place for children of the light to live. What a terrible place for the light of the world to exist in the dungeon of self-made confinement. Years ago, there was a man who lived in New York City. Lived in a a nice apartment. Wealthy man. He hoarded everything, though. Hoarded everything. Throw nothing away. Stuff everywhere. Stacked high. Find something, bring it home. You never get rid of something. His apartment was just filled with it, all the way to the ceiling. And one day, some friends became concerned about this man because they'd not seen him in several days. 
They went to his apartment, knocked on the door, no answer, no answer. They found the superintendent to the apartment complex who got a key, let them in. They saw nothing but piles and piles of all this stuff. But they noticed that one huge pile had fallen over. And they started digging in that pile, and at the bottom they found their friend who had suffocated under that pile of stuff that he had stockpiled all those years. Friend, I want to encourage you. Don't suffocate yourself spiritually. Deal with the bitterness. Give it to the Lord. Take it away. Don't let your life and your light be snuffed out under the garbage of malice and anger and unforgiveness. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Now, Lord, these are your words, heavy words. But Lord, your words are always, even when they are heavy, they're, they're to bring the weight of joy and forgiveness. You show us the way out. You show us light. And so Lord, I pray for us all. I pray for myself. I pray for us all in this room. Help us, Lord, to be people who are peacemakers. Help us to be victorious by your grace over anger and malice. Lord, may we root it out at all costs. And Lord, I pray right now that by your Spirit, that you will reveal things in our hearts so that we can go and make things right and be free indeed. And Lord, help us to be obedient to whatever you're saying by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray today for all here to know the peace of God in salvation in Jesus Christ. In turning to God, we lose our life and find it in Him. We find our life, Lord, in following You. Thank You. You want us to flourish. Be blessed. Help us to hear these words of truth today so that we can sing, It is well, it is well with my soul. All God's people said, Amen. Let's stand.